Welcome to Split Happens, the Divorce Down Under podcast where we talk about anything and everything family law related. Welcome to Split Happens, the Divorce Down Under podcast with me, Alex, and my fellow family lawyer, Liza. Who's Hi. there, I promise, yes. <laughs> I <laughs> am here, later. sorry. I thought you were going to keep talking. <laughs> no, 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 that happens later on and, and, and too much. <laughs> so today I thought we might go into the area of ethics in family law. Um, I mean, law generally. And this it doesn't just apply to lawyers. I'm thinking about it as a more broad subject, about how we have ethical obligations if we're a practitioner, that we represent somebody. Yep. And also how if you're a party or to a proceedings, what your duties are as well, what your ethical obligations. Yeah, that's a big one. It, it is. And it's um, you know, there are lots of decisions in these sort of areas and the, the rules have been written for us lawyers um, under our practicing certificate arrangements with uh, our various law societies around the country. We all have to abide by solicitors' conduct rules and barristers have their own sets of rules. But People who are engaged in court proceedings perhaps sometimes aren't sufficiently aware of their own obligations about um, their ethical position and things like disclosure. But So I'll turn this one over to you then and start the ball rolling about what is ethics? What does it mean in, when we're talking about it in our area? So I like to um, define it as being it's, – it's the moral compass. It's the duty that um, – that exists that means that that is approved by society standards. So sometimes you might have a personal belief and it might be the right thing or the wrong thing to do. And um, an ethics, when we're talking about ethics, we're talking about it at a larger scale. So rather than just talking about your own moral compass, we're talking about more of a what is the right thing to do? What is the wrong thing to do? And what are you obliged to do in order to ensure that that justice is going to be served. So when we're talking about ethics in the family law context, we, we need to make sure, because of course, no matter what the situation is, we all need to make sure that there is um, the proper administration of justice. And so in doing so, we need to be all on a, a very si- same sort of page. Mm. And so that's where we have to have that benchmark of, and, and that's what we t- we're talking about when we're saying, you know, um, you've got a duty to do this or a duty to do that. Yep. It's it's all founded in achieving that benchmark so that there's that um, that yep. perception of fairness to everyone. Uh, and, and sometimes you, you come into conflict with what a client might want you to put forward and what you as a practitioner, as a solicitor, what you must do. I, mean, I know that in the solicitor's conduct rules, our paramount duty is to the court because That's we're all right. officers of the court and to the administration of justice. Mm. Now, that can sometimes, I mean, that that duty actually overrides any duty that you would That's have to right. your client. So, so your client might say, I want you to do this. But if that conflicts with your duty to the court, you can't as a practitioner. No. You have to say, sorry, I can't act for you if those are your instructions. Yeah. So, for example, um, you know, it might be saying, I want you to, um, I, I want you to tell the other side that I'm not going to be, you know, I, I'm... I'm not going to comply with these orders and mm. I want you to draft up something that is going to help me not comply. Well, we can't do that. We have to – our overriding duty is to the court and we can't um, – and we're not a, a mouthpiece for you. So that's the that's the biggest thing you have to realise as a client from your perspective is saying, well, 
Just because I want this doesn't necessarily mean that my lawyer can actually put that forward. There are a number of things that we as practitioners, we have to be very careful of. And in family law, one of the biggest things that I've seen is um, when a client makes uh, allegations that are serious allegations against someone, Mm. as lawyers, we're actually not permitted to put that into affidavit evidence or even in correspondence and, and allege that about people or other lawyers without some sort of reasonable basis for doing so. It's not going to be enough that you know, my client says that that's the case. You really need to, If the more serious the allegation, the more evidence we need to be able to put forward. We need something that's a little bit more substantial than, oh, this is just what I think. <clears throat> so it really does require us to spend some good time with our client. If they're making a serious allegation about the other person, yep. you've got to talk to them in some detail. Like, well, why do you think that? And give me an example of when that has occurred and give me some give me a time and a date and who said what to whom and what you observed. It needs to be specifics. Yeah, that's we, right. We can't be making general swathing um, allegations about people when they're yep. very serious. So mm. we'll be we'll be in a bit of trouble for that and the court won't look too kindly on yourself either. No, that's right. And if you, if you do put those kinds of allegations against somebody and there is no basis for it, well, uh, at the very least, you can expect that your credibility is out of the window. You are the little boy that cried wolf. Yep. Um, that doesn't mean that these, these allegations don't get taken seriously. Of course they do and they must do. Mm. But we have to be careful and walking on that ep- ethical tightrope about not putting something without there being a, at least a reasonable or a proper foundation for saying so. Yeah, okay. So I notice, you know, I don't notice, I re- we read these things all the time you know, mm. with what we do. Um, in particular in family law, there is a whole bunch of rules that govern how cases are to be conducted. And I always like to come back to the overarching purpose of the rules. And it's easy, I think sometimes you can, you know, you lose the sight of the wood for the trees. You get so busy and wrapped up in, you know, answering this letter or the other side have said this. Mm. Doing, you know, it just being reactive to what's happening right now. It happens so much, doesn't it? It does. I mean, it, I mean, it's human nature, isn't it? You know, somebody says something, you want to say something back. And sometimes you need to go stop, sit back. What are we all trying to achieve here? And then it, I think it often helps to go back to the fundamental purpose. If you look at the, the rules uh, for family law matters, this is the Federal Circuit and Family Court of Australia. Family law rules, 2021, if you want to look them up. <laughs> um, the overarching purpose is to facilitate the just resolution of disputes according to law and as quickly, inexpensively and efficiently as possible. Now, that's obviously, it's something of an aspirational mission statement. Yeah. But it's really helpful to keep coming back to that, that if you get drawn into a tit-for-tat battle of correspondence, look, people can run up hundreds, realistically, thousands and thousands of dollars going back and forth on unnecessary correspondence sometimes. And... Much as you, you know, you you want to be able to put your client's case forward and, and and as forthrightly as possible, so that they're feeling vindicated and having their voice heard. But you may be doing them a disservice by engaging in unnecessary correspondence. Mm. Coming back to that kind of fundamental, what are we for? We're yeah. here for the best purposes. We're to look after the interests of our client, so long yep. as it doesn't conflict. It's like I, I saw iRobot again at the weekend with my eldest and. Brilliant film, fantastic film, it was a great book. But, you know, the, the three rules of robotics, you know, yeah. must not do any harm to humans, except if, you know, then you have your, yep. your other rule. And it's a bit like that with, we, we must do the best thing for our clients, so long as it doesn't conflict with our duty to the court yeah. and the administration of justice. Yeah, well, I, I um, see it a lot where 
you get six-page letters from the other side which mm-hmm. talks about the history between them. Um, and they're expecting a response or some sort of concession or admission that you agree with that history. And nine times out of ten, you don't. Agree, your client doesn't agree with that history. Mm. And what I try to do in that instance is just say, look, we just put the histories aside. Let's focus on what we're trying to achieve. And and rather than get, getting caught up in the in the small details, yeah. um, that really don't matter it in the scheme of things. Comes a pantomime, doesn't it? Oh yeah. yes, you did. Oh no, you didn't. You know, you, you have cases where they're they're together for twenty over twenty plus years or something, and and realistically, a lot of the time your contributions aren't going to be as significant. And they're saying, "Oh well, I I I use my twenty thousand dollars from my super back in nineteen ninety eight, and I know that's that's probably more than twenty years now. But anyway, that's that's how good my maths is. Um, but in terms of working out when you're um, you know, talking about contributions, you go, well, no, actually this is just a case about future needs. This is what mm. you need to be focusing on. Don't get caught up on the parts that aren't really relevant and to your actual case. And that's what bringing it back to the um, the objective of the rules is that, you know, we, it's essentially you just need to focus on um, the most inexpensive means and the most just means um, to get that resolution. And... That will usually involve um, not entering into a war and correspondence with the other side. Yeah, it's easy, it, easier sometimes, probably best practice really, to turn around and say, thank you, we acknowledge, client's got a copy of that, our instructions are that he or she, or they don't agree with large tracts of that, but it's not productive to have yeah. litigation by correspondence, so let's focus upon what needs to be decided and determined now. One of the things I usually ask myself when I write correspondence is, is this helpful? Mm. Is this going to make the other side think, you know, want to, you know, come towards me in in respect of my client's position, or are they going to go against me? Wh- which way is it going to send them? Are they going to be sent running? If they're going to be sent running, what is the point of that? Yeah, you're not helping your client. No, fundamentally. Nope. Um, let's. I mean, we we have a raft of duties as solicitors, and it, some of them are blindingly obvious, like you you mustn't be dishonest, and you know you, you mustn't mislead people. Yeah, but um, that but happens a lot. Well, the Legal Services Commission exists for a reason if people have done those sorts of things. Yep. Um, undertakings, of course, for a solicitor to give an undertaking is a pretty serious thing. Yeah. Uh, I am loath to give an undertaking, and I couldn't tell you the last time I ever, oh, I had I ever to. did. I had to give one um, recently, and you know, here's, here's a difficult situation, and it was um, required by the court for all practitioners in the case to give an undertaking not to discuss um, there was some material that was produced on subpoena mm-hmm. and we're not permitted to discuss the contents of that um, those documents with our client until further order. Yeah, you've told me about this one. It's, it's a doozy, really, isn't it? Yeah. So then, of course, do? yeah. So um, in this particular case, you know, the other side obviously want to progress and try and have some time with the child and, and I'm going, well, I'm not permitted to talk about this with my client and I don't think that it's appropriate that we even discuss the time. Yeah, it's because it's how I'm therefore making that decision for my client as to whether or not, and I'm telling her what what is um, what is actually going to be the proper thing to do in she, that case, and that's a that's a judgment call for the client. That's not 
that's not she me. She can't really. She can't have the benefit of your knowledge of no. the things that she's not allowed to see. It it is quite quite bizarre sometimes that situation. Yeah. So and I'm still stuck with that um, mm. undertaking. So because it, you know the court still hasn't discharged the lawyers from um, speaking yeah. about it. Well, I, I, it wasn't an undertaking given, but I was in, in the mid, midway through a hearing not so very long ago and the uh, judicial registrar decided to release a particular report to the solicitors only. Mm. So go away and have a read of this. You can't tell you, your, your client what it actually says, but you can discuss it in general terms. I, think, mm. I, I don't know how to do that in general yeah. terms. I'm just going to read it and say, okay, these are the kind of conclusions it's making. What do you say about that? And, mm. you know, and my client was actually very helpful um, they were very much across some of these issues that were arising. But as a solicitor, I'm going, I'm in a, you know, caught between a rock and a hard place here. I want to yep. be able to tell my client precisely what's being said about um, their, you know, their family and mm. the things that are going on there. But I can't because I've been told not fact, to. And in fact, exactly right. talk to the court again in half an hour's time. Yeah, in fact, a lot much. of the time, a lot of the time, we, we actually are meant to pass on information to our client that – you know, say if, if, even if it's something that's not favourable, even if it's a crappy offer and we just think, no, nah, this is just an absolute waste of time, mm. we still have to pass it on to our client. We're not allowed to just hold it and go, oh, no, I think it's best that you don't see this or uh, anything like that. Unless, of course, there's a there's a real issue that it may cause them harm or they're going to lead them to some sort of harm. Um, but in that case, I'd probably be seeking a, a advice from other senior practitioners and or the Queensland Law Society for that matter before I decided to do something like that. But in terms of, um, you know, correspondence, sometimes, you know, it's it's terrible correspondence that you get, but you still, and it, you may not like or your client may not like what is being said about them, but you've still got to pass it on to them. Yeah, yeah, that's our obligation to sort of yep. give you the bitter news as well as the good. Yeah, okay. All right, so going back to, uh, we know we have a raft of rules as solicitors, but what kind of obligations does a person who is a party, not a legal practitioner, mm. so they're not caught up by all of yep. our ethical obligations and rules, but what are their obligations to a court when they're engaged in a case? So the first thing that you've probably got to think about is um, is you've got to make sure that you disclose everything that is relevant to the issues in that case. So whether it be parenting... Um, you have to disclose all the things that are relevant. Now, that's a obviously a, a tricky question because you're going to need to be guided by what your solicitor says because a lot of times the, the client isn't going to know exactly what's relevant, what's not, not relevant because, of, as we all know, a client will think that a particular issue is relevant and we know that it's just not. It's, you know, you know they'll talk about the fact that someone had an affair. Well, it's not usually relevant. It's not that's not sort of something that we're is, is ordinarily going to be a... Maybe a driver in terms of how you've got there, but it's not a consideration when no. you're dealing with arrangements for money so, and kids. So it makes it sort of tricky, um, but that's where the, your family lawyer will be able to help you and in giving you ideas as to stuff that, you know, they'll sort of say to you, you need to talk about things like practicalities of the time, if there's any any risk of harm during these, these times, who else is living in the house... Um, all these sorts of decisions and, and factors that are, that are going to come into it um, that you need to be able to put forward. And even things that it becomes very tricky if you have information that is going to work against you. Say, for example, mm. I don't know, I'm just trying to think of an example here. Um, you have, you know that on one night you had a party and it was at your house and 
your kids were home and there was lots of swearing and there was a big fight broke out and everyone was drinking, there might have been some drugs or something like that involved. Yeah. You know, the other side doesn't know about it. That becomes a bit of a tricky problem because you're sort of thinking, well, you don't know if they don't know, mm. but they might know. And the kids may have told. Um, sometimes it's better to disclose, fall on your sword, explain away. It takes the sting out of the, out of the um, yep. disclosure before the other side gets to Plus it. Plus you get to put your context around That's it That's exactly well. right. So um, was, This was going on and some friends of mine got out of, out of hand, but I was not. I was intoxic- I wasn't intoxicated. The kids yeah, were fine. We that's right. So, so you can, in fact, take that sting out of it. So, aside from mm. what your obligation is in terms of disclosing material matters that are relevant to the proceedings. So, but if that's a property matter, well, you know, you don't have to fess up about that. I wouldn't have thought, unless it's unless there's a, a related kids issue. But mm. as far as you know, it, you, that's why it's important to know what is the proceeding. What is it? What is it relevant to? Yeah, so I mean, that's the over. I mean, that's the overarching duty. If you go, yeah. go to the rules again, and we're talking about family law, so I'm only ever really referring to those rules, the yeah. Federal Circuit and Family Court of Australia family law rules. But the general duty of disclosure is set out there as being each party to a proceeding has a duty to the court and to each other party, so that's yeah. to the other side, to give full and frank disclosure of all information relevant to the proceeding in a timely manner. Yeah. Now, I don't know how many times you will have written letters and received letters for that matter, back and forth saying, "We've here's our disclosure, where's your disclosure? Yep. Or we're waiting for your disclosure, or we're trying to get our client to provide their disclosure, we'll give it to you when we get it. We spend a lot of time as lawyers going back and forth trying to ask our clients to give us the information that we need and that they're obliged to provide, and also then asking the other side for the same yep. thing. I, I've got a matter on at the moment where uh, my clients provided everything that they have in their possession and we've had an absolute stone wall from a person who has stopped using a set of solicitors mm. and is now self-representing and it's just it's talking to the wall so yeah we're in front of the court in a couple of weeks time and next week we'll be filing our um, there's a form called an undertaking uh, to disclosure yep and we'll be filing that because we've done everything we can do mm. um, the person on the other side though they won't be in good faith able to sign that and if they do i'm going to have to draw it to the attention of the judge i yeah. don't really want to do that i want to get the case fixed yeah and then that's what happens is it, you get caught up on these smaller issues which become mm. big issues and all it does is stall the case and add extra cost to the case so and as a practitioner i can't go giving legal advice to the other person of course i can go and say mm. please go and get some legal advice around this yep. um, you have a you, know, you have a duty under the court rules <laughs> you can write those letters as, you know, or emails as long as you like. Yeah, you're getting no reply from somebody who is either genuinely confused but won't go and get any help, or they're just you know, belligerent. They're just belligerent. Yeah. yeah. So my duty is to say, here are the rules. Look at them. Please go and get legal advice, and have your lawyer preferably come and contact yeah. you. Yeah, I think that the duty of disclosure in relation to parenting matters is often overlooked. I think people don't realise what you know. They seem to think, oh well. Um, it, what what do, what they don't know won't hurt them. Mm. Um, I think a lot of disclosure. When we talk about disclosure, a lot of lawyers will focus on the financial side of proceedings. Yeah, because it's something that is. It, it to me, it sounds like when you think about the concept of disclosure, you're thinking, "Oh, I'm going to get some information. Yeah, it's bank something that I can give to records. them. Yeah. It's not like just sort of revealing information." Now, there's a there's a fine line between, um, and sometimes I see this a fair bit. 
depending on how much conflict there is between the parties. But often there's a fine line between disclosure and what we call interrogatories. Now, that's basically, it comes from the word interrogate. So it's basically the other other solicitor or other other party um, asking a series of questions that relate to um, what has been put in evidence already or relate to some of these issues. Now, that's a different concept to disclosure as such because sometimes... It depends on the type of question, but sometimes you might have to disclose, might have to answer that. But generally, you don't actually have to answer the questions that they put to you just because they've asked them. So it's if you get a letter and you've you've disclosed everything and then they want to know a whole heap of um, other questions about that, about what you've disclosed, I'd probably go and speak to your lawyer or go and see a lawyer if you don't have one already, a family lawyer, and talk to them about whether or not you actually have to get put um, that information back out there. Because mm. a lot of the time what they're asking for, A, is not relevant, and B, it's not something that, you know, it's not your job to help their case. Your job is to inform the court of all the matters that are relevant to um, to the facts that are in issue. And there's a fine line, so it's really care- you just have to be careful. Um, I think that when you get asked, when you get a letter and it's asked a series of questions, mm. how you respond to that. So you know, because some lawyers mistake that and they say, "Well, I think that this is this is just a matter of disclosure." Well, it's not. Not no, always. No, it rarely is. It's rarely about just disclosure. You know, um, you have pe- and and they'll use those answers because if your matter goes to a trial, they'll use those answers later on. Um, po- possibly against you to try and when they get a chance to cross-examine you on, on the case, on, on all the evidence. So just be very careful with those sorts of things. Yeah. I mean, you have that general duty of disclosure, of course, is any information. Yeah. It doesn't talk about documents. It talks nope. about information. Information. And if it's relevant to the proceeding, then mm. these things that have happened to the children over this weekend that are serious and you haven't told anybody about it, well, that's, you, you should. That's that's relevant. get it out usually. there. But <laughs> if it is, it's a parenting matter, if it's a parenting matter, yes, right. Don't, if it's a purely financial matter, you don't need to talk about no. what the children did at the weekend. No, that's unless right. it has a bearing upon your finances. Yep. And was it uh, Douglas Adams used to write about the hitchhikers? It was the fundamental interconnectedness of all things. So, I should get um, good advice from a lawyer before deciding whether you should or should not disclose something. And just because you get a ten-page letter saying we want all of these fifty thousand mm. pieces of paper from you, don't necessarily think that. You do have to provide all of that. Nope. Think about what's relevant to the proceedings. Get some advice around it. Have a read of the rules. It's in part six of the rules, and it sets out with some detail. I won't bore anybody listening to this with exactly what they are, but it it sets out pretty clearly the documents that you're supposed to provide in parenting and or financial yep. matters. There's a couple of fact sheets too yeah, on, the, on, on the, the website. Yeah, the court's website. Again, I've said this before with the new website, there's a lot of useful information on yep. there. Um, and that's at, let me just give you the website address, it's the fcfcoa.gov.au. Um, go there, have a look in the resources page. It's some really useful information. Yep. Arban Legal is proud to sponsor Split Happens. You'll be in safe hands with Arban Legal. For all your family law needs, call us on 07562 or visit our website at arbanlegal.com.au.
Let's talk about some of the information that we do get by way of disclosure then. Um, And you go, wow, I didn't know about this around this. And then the case finishes. Mm. We obviously, as, as practitioners, we now know that information. We're fixed with it. And you have another case that pops up, maybe one of the parties in the old case. We can't use that. No. We can't. I, I, <laughs> I I've had a matter a number of years ago now where I acted for, um, it was a parenting case, and I was acting for the mum. And we, we got, a, 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 I think, a pretty solid outcome in, in that, um, made sure that there were sort of safety issues addressed and, and, and steady reintegration rather than, Everybody being thrust together after many years apart. After that all settled, I, I was then reached out to by the what was then the ex-wife of the former opponent, oh. saying, "Oh, great! I'd like you to act for me." And I thought, "Oh, I don't think I ought because I have too much information around that chap based upon my knowledge of the yeah. of the previous case." And so, much as I really was intrigued and wanted to know more, I you know I. I liaised, you know, you'd be pleased to with the QLS, the Queensland Law Society, who just said, yeah, you're right, you can't, don't, leave no. it alone. And because the thing is too, Trust so, your gut. yeah, so um, with that, because remember that just because it's over um, at the time you've got a consent order or a final order from a court or a binding financial agreement or something like that, there are still mechanisms in place for those orders to be overturned or those agreements to be set aside in the yep. in the event of non-disclosure or fraud or a whole range of different um, things yeah, that can a, crop a up. Material so non-disclosure that somebody doesn't know about for, for yeah. years afterwards. And sometimes. so, it, you know, could you imagine if you were acting for that ex-wife and then she comes to you with this other um, bit of information and then you think, oh, that would have been handy to know. That probably would have changed my advice or... You can't do anything with it, and you're conflicted, so you've just got to step away from the whole thing and just say sorry. Yep, uh, and and likewise, if you have a client that says to you, "Look, I've I've got all of this stuff, but I'm going, I'm not going to tell her or him about it." Yeah, and that's happened to me. I'm gone. Uh, well, you've told me about it now, yeah, and so you've shown me this. Can't. I can't put something forward that's untruthful. Yep, I don't have to communicate directly but I'm telling you your obligation is to put everything out on the table of what yeah. you've got and if you're telling me you're not going to do that and you want me to hide it I can't because we come back to our fundamental rule which is you and I as, as officers of the court owe our primary duty to the court and to the administration of justice yeah. and we don't do that and, by, and we by can't, lying to it. We can't um, partake in any disreputable conduct or dishonest conduct or anything like that that's going to <laughs> so mislead someone. So, Is the takeaway from this, if you're going to get up to something thoroughly no good, then certainly don't try to embroil your solicitor or your No, that's right, because all they're going to do they is go, say that, nah. oh, we can't act for you now, thank you for that. If you have a solicitor that goes, yeah, that's fine, Let's let's you know, puts their arm around you and you come up with some skullduggerous plan, yeah. uh, they, they probably probably won't be practicing for very long. No. So it's it's a bit like um well it's it's slightly different to uh for example a, a criminal lawyer. And so when you you know if you you've got a client that says I did it by the way. So mm. you, in that situation you can technically still act for them but what you sure. can't do is you cannot put forward the case that he didn't or he or she didn't do it. Yeah. So you have to be so careful in that situation. But in family law, it's a bit different because how are we meant to prepare, like, for example, a balance sheet when we know that there's a bank account? We can't do that because no. we, we're putting forward at that position. So that's why there False is that difference. We simply can't represent somebody that wants to do that. That's right. So we, we just can't do that. Um, and and same, that situation. And same with parenting. You know, I find that um, if it's the case that the 
the parent has told you that they've been beating up on their kids um, because they're not handling it or whatever the case may be, if you know that they that you're aware of these mm. things, um, it really does become problematic because you can't say that it's necessarily that's in the best interest of the children to stay with someone when you know that they are at risk of harm. Well, it's actually one of the exceptions. I mean, we, we have a duty of confidentiality to... I know that you know this, I'm just sort of talking out there. Yeah. We have a duty of confidentiality to our clients not to disclose information they give us in a com- in, within that yeah. solicitor-client relationship. There is an exception that's written in the rules, though, and that is if there is a risk of imminent serious physical harm to somebody yeah then we we can disclose yeah. that information to the proper authorities yeah and that's a, i mean that's sensible from a public policy perspective so yeah if you're apprehending my client is going to do something dreadful and drastic and i really genuinely believe this and you, you need to step up and act on that yeah um it's a weird thing i mean i can remember many eons ago in, in an ethics um lecture that i attended a long time ago to do with the canadian case where a person had disclosed to their lawyer, oh, yeah, I, I did kill somebody. Yeah. Um, and I, this is where the body's buried. <laughs> and, of course, th- there's no imminent risk of harm. So yep. they are charged with that knowledge. Oh, that's, is that the uh, Alton Logan thing? Oh, you may be right, yeah. I, I can't remember the name of it yeah, a long time ago. I do. But the, the lawyer ended up saying, you know, letting, you know, letting the information out of the bag. Oh, and, actually, and, no, I don't think And then did. got in trouble because they'd breached their ethical obligations. So the, the family of the, of, the, of the victim were obviously yeah. had some closure around that. But the lawyer also <laughs> it destroyed their career because they breached the rules about disclosing yeah. confidential information. So it's, you know, it's a bit of a mind... Look, that's an exceptionally rare case. But, but most sometimes, of but sometimes you do, you, you are charged with information. Um, the lawyer has their duty of confidence to their clients so they can't... They can't breach the confidentiality um, in relation to things that have already happened. So that example I just gave where the client says to you, I have already beaten up on my kids. Um, that to me says, well, you're not. it's not that you can breach confidentiality by telling someone that, you, that they have. Mm. There's an obligation. There's a mandatory um, – there's a, there's a section in the criminal code in Queensland – um, it's fairly new, actually, for failure to report. So if that was sexual abuse of yeah. kids, there's a um, – I can't remember what the offence is, but it's anyway, it's fail, failing to report it to an authority. If you're aware of or have reasonable grounds to believe that there's sexual abuse going on this with kids, occurring, yeah. yeah, then you have that obligation. So, um, But in terms of the fact that someone has done something, it's, it's not necessarily – you know, the, the lawyer doesn't have to be a whistleblower on their client. And in fact, they have to maintain that, that confidence. But what they can't do is then continue to put forward a case that the kids are not or have not been harmed or are not at risk of harm in, your, in that person's care. Because that's the biggest problem, I think, is that, um, you know, that's consistent with your duty to the court and being, you know, not misleading the court mm. and um, ensuring that, you know, just because, of course, as family lawyers in parenting matters, people forget, but our our job is actually to guide our clients to think in the best interest and act in the best interest of their kids. Yeah. So it, it's not you know, a, it's not a 100% everything you say and want, we're going to put that forward no. as being the right thing. We, we have to balance that with our obligations to the court. And weirdly, 
to our clients to say, your best interests are served by seeking you know, for the law to be upheld in terms of how it works out, yep. what the best interests are. Not necessarily you saying, I insist that they stay with me because he stroke she's a monster. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's, yeah. It's a bit of a... Bit of I, think it, I think it is, um, yeah, know, the takeaway, be careful what you say to your lawyer because they... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, may, it may create an ethical quandary for them. Yeah. But, I mean, of course, you had that matter not very long ago where you were effectively talking somebody off a ledge. They were in yeah, a very, right. very dark place yeah. mentally. Um, and fortunately, they're, they're okay now, but they were in a very dark place, and that mm. put, puts you in an awkward position. You think everything's going to be okay, but you, you can't really know. No, um, and that's some, right. We've had the, you know, the boy cried wolf you know, scenario that we talked about mm. earlier, but, and that happens too. Sometimes people will say, oh, that's it, I'm going to end it all, it's all too much. And, and if you don't know that person, which you wouldn't do personally as a practitioner, you go, I, I have to report this. Sometime. That's right. But then... If the longer you get to know them, you go. It's all right. It's, is it the is it the weekly clarion call? Are they going to do something terrible? Yeah. And that what you know, it starts to ameliorate over time. But at each on each occasion, we have to think about it separately. Think: Is this serious? Do I need to report this? But anyway, that's all doom and gloom. Yeah. Let's uh, th- think a little bit more about some of our other obligations. Say we, we do a lot of mediations. You and I. Yep. Um, fixing up property settlements, stopping people from um, spending eons of time and money in yep. court. Those negotiations, then, they're confidential, aren't they? They are. They are. So we go along and we say, this is what I want and this is why I want it, and the other side says much the same thing. And mm-hmm. you, know, you won't see each other. It's in a shuttle mediation. That's then relayed through the, you know, the, the conduit of our mediator for the day. And at some point, the mediators will usually say, now, I'll only tell them things that you want me to tell them. Yeah. But when they know those things on the other side, the, the, we have this this sort of artificiality, don't we? Which is, it's a confidential and it's a privileged process, the, yep. the mediation process. But you, it, once you've relayed that information, you don't get to unknow it. That's right. I actually did a paper when I was doing my um, graduate certificate in dispute resolution or something, one of those things. Um, and I did a paper and I called it "Unsee This," yeah. and I actually covered that precise issue. Um, about just that whole the psychology behind um, trying to not know something, and it's very mm. difficult not to use it. Um, but the problem, of course, is that once you know it, there are obviously some ways that you can go about getting that information, um, which might have you might have done anyway, even though you you know even without the mediation, you might have so you might have been. Um, concerned or um, that there was a another bank account somewhere yeah, and okay. because you you've gone through you've d- gone through the disclosure you've seen that Joe Bloggs hasn't um, once paid a phone bill there's no no Telstra Optus Vodafone no no record whatsoever of any phone bill or anything like that and so you're thinking oh okay but there's a lot of transfers to this unrecognized number so you sort of think, okay, well, what is this number? So you might want to subpoena, issue a subpoena anyway. But during the course of the mediation, you find out, oh well, actually, there's a few other bits and pieces, and that he's not, you know, that he's spending all this sort of money, and um, that he does plan on on buying investments and all that sort of stuff. So you you're working out little bits and pieces without him actually saying mm-hmm. that he's, you know, that there is this other account. 
So he hasn't actually said that, but you've worked out because of his intentions of what he's going to do. And you sort of look, you look at it and you go, he can't afford that. There must be something else There's going something on. else going on. So you learn that at the mediation because it sort of backs up what you're already thinking. Um, so there are ways that you can try and get that information in a legal way, um, but you can't necessarily just write back to them say, your client said that they're going to do this, blah, 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 and and therefore we're going to seek an injunction restraining you from doing these things because that is directly from the mediation and you you know you can't use that information. No, but you still know it. You still know it. That's exactly <laughs> right. Oh, and it's that, these conflicts that sort of that, that arise. We have that as a conflict with, in terms of the confidential information that you've got. Yep. Um, a big topic that pops up in any ethics kind of um, 101 is conflicts of interest. Yeah. So give me a quick 30-second guide as to what is a conflict of interest. Okay. When your client's interests conflicts with either your own or the interests of another client or another um, like a current client or a former client, or um, the court, as in, that's right. essentially... So uh, you've got... And we then can't act. If there yeah. is a conflict of interest, we as solicitors and, and barristers have to say, sorry, can't help. Yep. We may have, for example, given advice to that person in the past. We may that's have right. acted for them. And sometimes the, you, the nature of the acting might be, you think, not very relevant. But even if it's got some tangential relevance, it can still preclude you from acting. And the QLS and all the ethical guidelines yeah. would say... If in doubt, you can't act. There's been some recent decisions in the family law um, field, though, in relation to... Because it happens a lot in family law mm. um, where there's injunctions trying to get people... Stopping lawyers from stopping representing. lawyers yeah. from representing others. Um, but what, what the common theme is, is that it has to be a real, actual conflict. It's, mm. it's not just a, oh, well, someone might not... You know, they, they 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 might feel that there's an unfair advantage or something like that. You need an actual conflict. You need to know that there is some real com- confidential information. Yeah. I've sat down and I've told this person everything that's been going on and they've given me advice and then yeah. that was my so conflict. They've walked away, then they've acted for my ex. So it might be, for example, that you've acted on a conveyance, like a family lawyer. Some Plenty mm-hmm. of family lawyers do both conveyancing and family law. Ooh, I just had a shiver. I know, I don't either. <laughs> Not me. No, I, I all, all my stuff goes to Kim. So um, that's all. She she takes care of all of that at QC Law. I'll give a shameless plug for QC Law. Um, anyway, and so she um, will do all that for me. But in terms of if you were acting for both the, the seller um, and also um, – and then the person who wants to come to you and – because often you you'll might have sold – it might be husband and wife has been the sellers um, and the wife might have only ever really had any um, – dealings with your firm in coming in signing the transfer that's it but you've technically acted for her that's not necessarily going to be enough for a conflict for that family law firm to mm. for the that family lawyer to um, be off um, acting for husband so yeah. it's the, the nature of the information that they have you know would that's it, right would it make a difference yep um, so I think that the solicitor's rules is whether it be material to the matter of another client yeah. so I, I do have a matter at the moment actually with a client who's my client and her ex used a particular firm to sell a property together and that firm yep. now holds the money in their trust account and they now act for the husband and, mm. w- and we act for the wife. But they, there really wasn't any confidential information. It was, yeah. si- it was a simple property transaction. Yeah. Um, I'm happy at this juncture to, to rely upon that 
have, yeah. well, I have put them on notice that if they do have anything, then they'll be that'll be rehearsed in front of the court with costs. Yeah. But yeah, so conflicts we just have to be very careful about those. And if your solicitor has acted for the other party, they they, mm. they will do a conflict of interest check at the start of a case, and they should tell you. you know, some, sometimes you don't find out until a bit later. I was talking to someone recently and um, a mediator, and they don't do any mediations. Um, for parents who have kids that go to the same school um, as yeah. their as their kids, Very and sensible. it's not it's not that it's a conflict as such, but it's awkward. And so I I adopt a similar principle. So I try not to act for parents who um, that are within the same school as as my kids, only because it does become very awkward, and you know there is it. it it's not that it's a conflict now, but there is a potential for some conflict to happen later on. And as lawyers, we have to avoid – we need to be conscious of not just the actual conflict but also pretend things that can be a conflict down the fu- in the future so that we just mm. got to be very careful of that. So if, you're, if your family lawyer says, look, I probably prefer that, you know, that well, what I often do, I say, Alex, can <laughs> you act for this client? <laughs> Um, so that's probably the best way Better to switch a route. Yes, I, I have sometimes acted, that helps. I have acted once, but the other it was in such a low capacity for such a short period of time. It made no yeah. real difference. Um, and the per- the other person concerned was overseas, and yeah, uh, didn't make any difference at all. But I would avoid like generally like you. Mm. It's far too close to home, and it creates not just the conflict, but maybe sort of social difficulties for everybody concerned down the track. Yeah. So if your solicitor says, I'm sorry, I can't act for you, don't necessarily take it personally. There could be a very good reason for that. Um, Look, ethics is a whole range of of questions around what you should and shouldn't do. And as Liza said at the very start, it's about, you know, where does the law see the moral compass of behaviour? We have rules and we have protocols that we follow. There are duties that are imposed upon people going through court um, and upon their legal practitioners. So ask any questions that you might want to. Drop us any emails that you like. Um, we could keep rambling about cases that we've dealt with for a long time, but maybe today's not the day. We've probably exhausted your ears. Mm-hmm. So thank you very much for listening to yeah, thank you. Split Happens, the Divorce Down Under podcast, and we look forward to you joining us in the future. Thanks for listening to Split Happens, the Divorce Down Under podcast. If you want to hear more of our episodes, you'll find us wherever you find your podcasts on all good platforms. Thank you.